Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose family. Choose a great big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed, pay, fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase in a range of different fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering where you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on a couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth, rotting away at the end of it all and pissing up your last miserable home with nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish brats you've spawned to replace yourself. <laughs> Choose your future. Choose life. But who would want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? Well, there are no reasons when you've got heroin. Is it not here? That's the opening lines, the rather shocking opening lines, it would seem, to um, train spotting. Is it Irving Welsh? Wrote it 1996, I think. And I'm going to be slightly stuck if this doesn't behave itself. So we are telling God's story, your story, and our story, and we will return to that opening quote later. God has made a promise to Abraham. He's promised him that his descendants will be more numerous than the stars. That he will be their God and they will be his people. And he's also made them a promise that they will inherit this land. The land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And they have been rescued from Egypt, as we heard last week. And they have been wandering around in the wilderness. They visited Mount Sinai at the south of the Sinai Peninsula. And now they have made their way towards the River Jordan and the Promised Land. And today we find the nation of Israel standing on the banks of the Jordan, looking over into the land that God has promised them. And it's here that Moses addresses them with today's reading that Carol is going to read for us. The reading today is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 15 to 20, and this is the New Living Translation. Now listen. Today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love your Lord, the Lord your God, and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply 
and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you might choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Fantastic. Carol, thank you so much for reading that so well. It's a great passage, isn't it? At the end of Deuteronomy and chapter 30. So we're continuing our sermon series looking at God's story. And as you will know, we are drawing on this verse from 1 Corinthians, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. So the Scripture that Paul is talking about is the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So we are making our way through that story to tell this backstory and try to see the context that Paul is talking about, where Christ died in accordance with Scripture. And today we arrive at chapter 5 in our story. Although the thing is, I'm aware that um, a number of you haven't been here every week, and it's quite difficult to drop into a story at chapter 5 and understand what's going on, because you've missed chapters 1 to 4. So what I'd like to do just very briefly is recap the first few chapters for those of you that haven't been here. I would recommend you, uh, you do listen online if you've got a chance. Um, all of the talks are available via YouTube or Facebook. But this is chapters 1 to 4. If you remember at the beginning of Genesis, creation is good. Creation is very good. And humans are placed in the center of that creation like the image within the temple to image God to the world. That is to reflect God out to the world around in his care for creation and his care for neighbor and one another. And then we are to reflect the praises of the world back up to God. That, that we human beings have this dual vocation to reflect God into the world and reflect the praises of the world back to God. But we fail in that vocation. And we fail in that vocation repeatedly. And the story of Genesis is that that results in the loss of Eden. Well, God then wants to get his creation project back on track. So he calls this family, Abraham and his descendants, and he makes this covenant, this promise with them that they will be numerous and they will get this creation project back on track. But as we read through Genesis, there's this sibling rivalry that is riddled through the second half of Genesis. Brother against brother, family against family. 
and they cannot get their act together and serve God. And eventually they end up through a twist and turn of events in Egypt as slaves making bricks for the superpower, for the Egyptians. Well, God is not done with them. So God calls out Moses and speaks to him from within a burning bush and says that he is to go and confront Pharaoh, this superpower, and tell him, God says, let my people go. Well, we know the story, the plagues of Israel, eventually ending with the Passover the moment where the sacrificial blood of the lamb is daubed on the, on the doorposts and above the doorposts. And God rescues his people. This victory over the dark powers. And he rescues his people through the waters, through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness in the second half of the book of Exodus, they are given these two resources by God with which to sustain them. They are given the law, and that is God's guidance. God's guidance how to live well in the world. It's a gift of grace. This is how you are to reflect God and live out in the world. Follow the law. And then there is also the temple, the tabernacle, the symbol of God's presence with them. This is where heaven nurtures. This is the new Eden. This is where God is found, and he is with you, this people. And now today they are made their, they've made their way to the land that they have been promised by God. This land that will become their new Eden. And they stand on the banks of the river Jordan. And Moses addresses them. And he says to the people, people, this is how it is going to go. Today I'm giving you a choice. You can choose between life and you can choose death. You can choose between prosperity or disaster. I give you this choice. And it's, it's not the choice of the end of your life as to what's going to happen to you after, your, after you die. You understand this, don't you? He's not saying to them, this is what will happen to you after you die, death or life. This is about how they live in the promised land. They can live in such a way that they will live this life in all its fullness that God has promised them, this faithful life. Or they can live in a way that is a kind of living death that is heading the wrong way. They can live in faithfulness to God, in faithfulness to his law, to his instruction, in faithfulness to the tabernacle, to God's presence amongst them, or they can choose another path. And the path that Moses identifies is the path of idolatry, the sin that he, he says they, they could choose, and they ultimately do choose, is this path of idolatry. That is putting something else in the present place of God's law and God's presence, creating their own idols. And he tells them, if they choose life and faithfulness, then it will lead to prosperity. But if they choose idolatry, then it will lead to a life of adversity. That this way is a way of, 
to be fully human, to live as God intended you to be, to reflect that image of God into the world and to reflect the praises back up to God and to live a fully human life. Or that this way there is a life that is subhuman and not the way God intends. That living this way contains its own reward. That being faithful to God contains its own rewards. But if you choose to ignore God's law, then there is punishment. I've often heard this idea that um, we are punished by our sins, not for our sins. Perhaps uh, an obvious example that might be one of the one of the, the one of the laws, one of the Ten Commandments. The commandment says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." Well, that's not there to destroy people's fun. It's there because of the damage which adultery causes. And if you've ever sat with people who are going through that process of an ending of a relationship, of the damage that is caused by adultery, you can see that it contains its own punishment. It contains its own destruction. You don't need to be the one to say much at all because there is a choice of living faithfully to God which contains its own reward or there is the choice of living a different way. We might say we're given a choice between heaven and hell, life and death, two different orientations of how to live in the world. The challenge, of course, for all of us is if it were only that simple, (laughs) if it was only that simple, Because as Wright has pointed out a number of times through this, and as we've seen in the story of the people of Israel, they are bearers of both the promise but also the problem. That they are simultaneously saints of God but also simultaneously sinners. And as it is for them, so it is for us. You know, I've often heard the story of this relationship between life and death presented a bit like this. Now, don't worry about this graph. I got, I got sent it this week. But it's this idea that actually there's perfection and there's depravity. And the story starts with everything wonderful and then everything becomes completely corrupt. And then it ends up, and sometime in the future, we'll discover this new perfection. I struggle with that interpretation. One, I think it's way too optimistic (laughs) about human technological development. You know, I think we may get different tools, but the heart problem remains consistently the same. I also think it's too pessimistic in its origins. Actually, I I tend to think of it like this, and I think this is what Moses is saying. There are two ways to live. We might think of them as perfection, depravity. We might think of them as life and death, like two lines of a railway track heading out in front of us. And to be honest, that's more the 
the route that my life has taken, I think. How about yours? Which brings me back to my opening quote. Choose life. The life that Renton, the character from Train Spotting, has rejected is what he thinks life is all about. He's rejecting what society has told him life should look like because he sees it as the shallow, empty vacuum that it is, a life full of matching luggage and interest-free mortgage repayments and three-piece tailored suits. That's not the life that Moses is talking about. It's not a choice of that life or death. The life that Moses is offering and that we are offered is a life in all its fullness. That is a life in relationship with God, lived with him. That is not about the material possessions we own or our gym membership. But is something much deeper, much more profound. That it is a life lived in relationship with God, in faithfulness to God. To his laws, his statutes. A life in all its fullness. Moses says this slightly earlier in the book. If you and your children take this, this is this idea of life and death, we take it seriously and come back to God, your God, and obey him with your whole heart and soul, according to everything that I command you today, God, your God will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. No matter how far away you end up, God, your God, will get you out of there and bring you back. God, your God, will cut away the thick calluses of your heart and your children's hearts, freeing you to love God your God, with your whole heart and soul and life and really live. What it strikes me that Moses is saying is we all make these choices and all the way through our lives we sometimes make bad choices but that need not be the end of the story. There is always a way back to choose life because you can never get so far away from God that there is not a way back into faithfulness with him. Back to the life that he is offering. And the way is to, is to set your heart right. It's not about your actions, it's about the orientation of your heart. Moses is saying, if your heart is right, then keeping the covenant will be easy. So this is about something internal, something within, a calling of God, a desire, an orientation of our hearts. Say, God, my desire is to choose life, to choose your life. And interestingly, it's this passage that Paul quotes in Romans 10. Moses wrote, 
that anyone insists on, who insists on using the law to live right before God soon discovers it's not so easy. Every detail of life regulated by the fine print. But trusting God to shape the right living in us is a different story. So what exactly was Moses saying? The word that saves is right here. And Paul is talking about the person of Jesus Christ. As near as the tongue in your mouth and as close as the heart in your chest. Scripture reassures us no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us acting in the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls, help God, gets help. So I want to leave you with a challenge today, as in where is your heart? What choices have you made Do we need to spend a little bit of time in quiet prayer and quiet reflection saying, God, I know I've made some bad choices. I know my heart has not been where it should be. And this morning, through the grace of God and through the sacrifice of Jesus, to say, God, I, I orientate my heart back towards you. I choose you this morning. Faithfulness. And I choose life. So let's pause a moment. Maybe close your eyes. Maybe pray. Maybe there is a need for, a, for confession this morning. Perhaps we need to pause for a moment and reflect on some of the occasions and times that we've not chosen wisely and where that has resulted in hurt and pain for others. As these passages remind us, no one is ever so far away from God that there is not a way back. That no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. Everyone who calls help God gets help. So this morning, Lord Jesus, we cry out to you. We ask for your help to help us to choose life a life in all its fullness a life through your grace and your mercy and forgiveness that is open to all a life of countless fresh starts and forgiveness
Lord, this morning, help us to choose life, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. And next week, we continue with God's story.